Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to One Life Community Church. It is a joy and a privilege to be with you all this morning. Thank you for choosing to be with us both online and in person. Uh, man, it's only been a couple weeks, and uh, we're, we're learning how to do this, and uh, we really appreciate your presence in whatever way you are able to join us. As we begin, um, I want to make sure those of you who are joining us online, however, we have a lot of places where you can be um, to watch us online, including Facebook and YouTube. We highly recommend you joining us on our online platform, which you can find at onelifeseattle.org forward slash live. And the reason why we recommend this is because it has our live chat for connection. It's got our Bible and prayer app, our note section, which if you haven't gotten there yet, um, that has details about our sermon and questions we'll be talking about. And it just allows you online to interact with us, even with those of us here present. So However you choose to join us online, um, those, those of you here, we are so thankful, and we just want you to know your presence and participation means so much to us. Today, we're diving into week four of our sermon series entitled Gospel Culture, in which we are looking um, at the book of Galatians. And if you've missed the last three Sundays, I highly recommend you going back and listening to them. Greg has covered a ton of information. He's been knocking it out of the park, and it's really going to help lay the foundation for you as we continue to move on. I'm not going to have the time to cover everything as a review um, to hit everything he hit. But for this morning, I do want to do a quick review just before we even get started. The first thing we need to know is that Galatians, as we look at it, is a letter. And this letter was written by the Apostle Paul, um, who we understand to be this early church leader. And the recipients were, were these Jesus followers, both Galatian, uh, in Galatia, but they were both Jewish and Gentile followers of Christ. And the one other thing we've seen over and over again now, and we're going to see again, is this idea, this reoccurring theme of Christ in me. So I want you to hold those things. And the one other thing to note, just if you're wondering where in the world is Galatia, that is like current day Turkey. So don't think Thanksgiving, think the place, Turkey, and uh, that you should be in the general ballpark of where we're looking at. As we start, I also want to invite you into like a reflective image. So I want you to imagine back in the days of high school, the glory days maybe, or maybe not so much, sitting in the cafeteria during lunch. Can you picture this? And I want you to try to imagine the different clusters, the different groups of people sitting together. And as you do, I want you to try to think about and describe those groups and particularly the group you sat with. So imagine that. Think of the group you sat with. Now, I want you to pick one of these groups that you were not a part of. And think about what described that group or those groups. And what would happen if you went to try to sit with that group during lunch? Or maybe vice versa. What if someone from this other group that you were not associating with came over and tried to sit with your group during lunch? What would happen? What would that look like? How would people respond? Now, I want you to hold that as I'm going to open us up in prayer. Father, Son, Spirit, as we have engaged in worship, as we have participated in prayer, as we've uh, joined together both online and in person, we recognize the gift of your Spirit with us. And we just thank you. You are as close as our very breath. 
And so this morning, wherever we're at, we ask that you would speak to us, reveal a foundational truth to us, and may this truth not be just something that we have knowledge of, may it transform us. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See Brad? See you next Saturday. Except the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. And you see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain. And an athlete. And a basket case. A princess. And a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. Don't, 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 don't you forget about me. I feel like there should have been like a collaborative, like we all like, yeah, something like that. Um, I had you imagine those scenarios in your own story and watch this clip from one of my all-time favorite movies, not just to make you feel old or to date myself, um, but to remember a scene in a a situation both in our story and in this movie um, that we've all kind of gone through at some time or another because it taps into something that's going on in Galatians as well. It's something we can enter into because we've been there in some form or fashion. And it's about who's in and who's out. Who's welcomed in and who's excluded and why. And what needs to happen if there is anything in order to be included. So it's about how we see and treat people and about how we live as a result. 
Here in Galatians, we have two different groups that normally would not have been associated with each other, let alone sitting at a table and enjoying a meal. We have the Jews and we have the Gentiles. Our text specifically lists Paul and Peter, who are both Jewish specifically, but we also have Barnabas and this group that we'll see called the Men of James, which is basically this group of very conservative Jewish Christians. Now, hopefully we can see this image. This is kind of the players. There's the left, there's the right, and then there's the moderates, and you can kind of see where people lie in our story. And Peter's right in the middle, and Peter's trying to figure out where he's leaning, okay? And so there's all these things happening, influences going on in our story. Now, similar to what we've already seen in this letter, Paul's writing about the gospel of Jesus and wanting to make something very clear. Previously, Paul touched on this idea that there were Jewish Christians basically saying that Gentiles or non-Jews needed to become circumcised if they really wanted to be Christ followers. That in a sense, the gospel Paul was pushing wasn't complete. That certain laws still applied, especially in the case of Gentiles. And so this idea continues to build and be addressed here, but now it has to do with other Torah laws regarding um, table fellowship and food laws, particularly who you can and can't eat with and what you can and can't eat. Now, Peter, who absolutely knows and has personally experienced the truth that this gospel is for everyone, for Jew and Gentile, is now showing himself to be fearful of what some of the more fundamental Jewish Christians would think if they saw him eating with these Gentiles. And so he pulls away from eating with the Gentiles out of fear when some of these very conservative Jewish believers come by. As a result, Peter's actions have shifted to a false gospel that makes it out as if faith in Christ is not enough for justification and salvation, but that Gentiles need to become like Jews in practicing the Torah. So when Paul witnesses Peter do this, it becomes this major confrontation. And that's what's being written about here in this section of our letter. It's essentially a theological and sociological bar fight about the true gospel, about justification by faith versus works, and the grace of God, and how we're supposed to live this out. And so if you have a Bible, you can get it and turn to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 21. If you don't, if you're online, you can use our Bible tab, or the the text will be displayed on the screen for you to follow as well. But that's kind of what's going on here. Let's enter in and read. It says this, When Cephas, this is Peter, came to Antioch, I, this is Paul, opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw this, they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth 
And not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. There's that phrase again. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Exclamation point. Now, there's a ton of stuff going on in our text. Very serious theological ramifications coming out, and we don't have time to go through all of it. So, so what I want us to focus on is particularly verse 16, because it is one of the most important verses in the Bible, honestly. And I want us to look at it again. It says this, Galatians 2.16, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now what I want us to see when we look at this verse is that there's several words that are repeated. Paul mentions faith, justified, and works each word three times. In this one verse. In fact, this verse, which is packed with dense theological truth, actually says the same thing three times. Paul repeats himself so we won't miss this foundational truth. He wants to make one point and one point very clearly, and that is that we are made right with God only through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Period. So today, I want to help us understand the meaning of these three words in the original context to better understand what's going on here and how they would have understood it then so that we can understand what it means today. Because in many ways, I think these words have, um, we, we, we don't totally get these words in our current day. So with that, I want to participate with one another. So if you're online or you're here, we're going to talk a little bit. The first word we're going to look at is this word justified. So if you're here or online, in a word or two, what does it mean to be justified? If you're online, you can tap it in. We have someone monitoring that so we can get your thoughts. But raise a hand, someone, if you have a thought. What does it mean to be justified? We hear kids. Kid says, Mom, what does it mean to be justified? In a word or two, how would you answer that? And if we don't know, that's fine. This is more reason why we need to understand. Yeah, Lauren. Uh, to be right or righteousness. To be right or righteousness, okay? Okay, Mark says kind of this idea of being set straight or in line. Others? There's some, some form of proof involved in the process, Okay. 
Okay, so it's something that's declared of us. If we're declared righteous, there's something spoken about it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, acknowledged as correct. Acknowledged as correct. Okay, great. Martin Luther called justification the chief doctrine of the Christian faith. For him, it was so important that if you don't understand this doctrine, you really didn't understand Christianity at all. He would even argue that you could understand other doctrines, but if you didn't understand this one, it would all be affected because in his mind, this doctrine was the very center and foundation to the Christian faith, which is why I believe Paul is so amped to make this clear. So this word justified means to declare just or righteous. So good job. Justified is a legal term that refers to a verdict from a judge that allows a defendant to go free. It means that the defendant is declared not guilty, innocent of all charges, and there's no record against them in the eyes of the law. And so if you're justified, your record is clean and clear, and you get to go free. So to be justified is the opposite of being condemned, which is interesting because that's the word that Paul uses to say about Peter. He stood condemned. Now, if you apply this to the spiritual realm, it looks like this. Justification is the act of God whereby God acquits all sinners, that is, declares them innocent on the basis of the death of Christ. And this gift of justification is received solely on the basis of faith, completely separate from good works Of any kind. That justified sinners are then pardoned, acquitted, set free, accepted by God, and treated as as righteous. In other words, this act of Christ is 100% pure grace. So in our text, Paul is wanting to be very clear. A person's righteousness, justification, and right standing before God can only come through faith in the work of Christ on the cross. Period. That's it. And to add anything else to this is a false gospel. And Paul is saying that Peter's actions are not in line with the foundational truth. That, that phrase in line is actually the, where we get the word orthopedic, and it's about how we straighten things. And so Paul's saying you're not in line. That this gospel is for all, Jew or Gentile, in any additional requirements whether it be circumcision, table and food laws, especially those that are being applied to those who are not Jewish, that's anti-gospel. Now, I want us to pause for a second. I don't need you to answer this, but I want you to think, do you really believe this to be true? That the work of Christ on the cross was that complete? Then when Jesus is on the cross and says, it's finished— That's what it means. It's complete. That it's only Jesus, not Jesus plus whatever you fill in the blank with. Because this leads to the second word that we need to understand, and that's this idea of works. So again, I would love to hear from anyone here or online, in a word or two, what does the idea of works mean? What's the idea of works mean? Just in one verse, it comes up three times. To earn something, okay? Others? Yeah? 
what you do to act out your faith. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, doing for others without compensation. Doing for others without compensation. Hmm, good. Anything else? Works, yeah. Okay, so in this context, I'm doing these particular things in order to get myself to be acceptable. Yeah. DIY justification. Okay, yeah. Human efforts to please God. Fantastic. In general, when we hear the word, this word works, we quickly think that it's not good, right? Especially if we think of the idea of faith versus works, right? We think faith is good works not so much. But the question is, is this how the people of the day understood this idea when they heard this word? And the answer is no. Paul talks about the idea of good works often throughout his various biblical writings. And for Paul, works really has three primary ideas that we need to understand so we know what they are and we know what's going on in this particular text. And so for Paul, there's three primary ideas. And the first kind of idea of works that Paul talks about appears in Romans 3.27. And it's basically this idea of merit or doing as a way that one finds acceptance with God. In this sense of works, Paul strongly opposes. It's this principle of works that for Paul is never going to get you acceptance with God. Now, there's a second type of works that we see, and that's this idea of the mosaic works or the works of the law, which is exactly what is spoken of in Galatians, just in verse 16, three times. And this describes the behavior of certain persons who are expressing their conviction that acceptance with God could only be had if you lived according to the law of Moses. And so as a result, what these people were doing was perverted by why they were doing it. So specifically, they were doing it to express their faith in Moses rather than in Christ alone. And to be clear, there's nothing wrong with living according to the law when it's done properly. After all, we see Paul circumcised Timothy in Acts 16, later himself took steps to be purified so he could offer sacrifices in the temple in Acts 21. But when someone obeyed the law to express one's confidence in it as a necessary step for acceptance by God, this was something Paul took very serious issue with. And that's what we see here in our text. But there is a third idea of works that we see Paul talk about. And that's this idea of good works. He speaks of it in Ephesians 2.10, where Paul says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so what Paul means here is that the people are called by God's grace in order to serve God in good works, in a lifestyle that is attractive and and godly. And and the, the fruit of the Spirit, which we just spent weeks looking at in Galatians 5 is the the description of these good works. And it's this kind of work that is primarily Paul's push for how followers of Christ should live. The question then is, now that we understand Paul thinks of works in three categories, what's he talking about in our text? Just in verse 16, he says works three times. Well, in Galatians, 
Paul is concerned primarily with the second sense, and perhaps at times the first. But to be clear, Paul is not and never was against good works as an adequate description of a Christian's moral life and and relationship with others. In fact, we see Paul uh, says we will be judged by our works many times in the scripture. So again, we need to understand what works is he talking about? But the good works that are to come out of us come out of Christ in us. That's where that theme comes again. Christ in us through faith. As Christ followers, the Holy Spirit collaboratively works in us as we live out our faith. And these good works of the Spirit are not rules. They're not regulations. They're not commandments like we see in the Mosaic Law. No, it's love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control. And if we remember the scripture, what does it say? It says, against such thing, there is no law. These good works that are coming out of us through Christ in us are free from the law. And so we can understand this idea more if we remember that for Jews, the law was part of their identity. You knew what they believed by the way they lived their life, especially with regards to who they ate with and what they did eat. Circumcision, great marker to tell you what they're about. Um, and the more committed and the more zealous you were, the better. Right? And, and for Jews, to not live according to the law meant an absolute radical change in identity as well as an absolute change in how they lived in relationship to others, especially the Gentiles. So the gospel of Jesus puts an end to this law, and this was not just for the Jews. It's for everyone, no matter your age, your race, your gender, your financial situation, your political affiliations, whether you had a job or a home or none of the above. It's for all. The Gentiles, though, had no experience, no understanding or identification with the law. So, so why would they need to enter into these laws and be identified like Jews when they weren't Jews? And according to what we're hearing, the law is now dead. This is why Paul was getting at this. Not just because this was a false gospel being lived out to the Gentiles, but Paul's now seeing Peter and Barnabas and other conservative Jewish Christians falling into this reality and promoting this false gospel as well, even after all of them have fully witnessed and experienced the true gospel going beyond these boundaries in their past. And so for Paul, because of Christ, we now understand that the law's only job is to show that none of its rules, regulations, and commandments can make you justified. In fact, all the law truly does is accentuate the fact that you can't be justified outside of the work and grace of Christ through faith. And of all the people to say this, Paul can. Because if we remember in Philippians, Paul is described as the one who was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. That's Paul. In other words, he was one of the most committed, zealous followers of the law, and his testimony proved that the law can't justify anyone, only faith in the works of Christ on the cross 
can. And as a result, everything changed for him. And he wants everyone to understand and experience the good news of this gospel. And this leads me to the last word that we need to understand, and that's this word, faith, which we might initially go, oh yeah, I got that one. So really quick, word or two, online or present, what does the word faith mean? How do you define faith? Say? Believe without seeing, okay? Others? Similar word as trust, okay? Yep, you're helping out in kids' life. One of the kids says, you keep saying faith, what does that mean? How do you answer? All of us adults, how do you answer? What does it mean to show faith? Okay, trusting in what God says is true, okay? Another vote for trust online, awesome. It's interesting, um, Dr. Scott McKnight, who has a fantastic commentary on Galatians, says, no term is more misunderstood in modern evangelicalism than faith. And particularly, what does it mean to be justified by faith versus observing the law? That helps. So, so what is this faith that saves us? And what is Paul talking about? Well, as some said, faith is defined maybe as trust. Some might call it consent, surrender, or commitment. And in Paul's letter, faith is the necessary response required for a person who wants to live at peace for God. He says it multiple times in his writings. And it's held firmly in contrast to this principle of works, specifically works done to secure salvation. So this faith clearly involves a consent or, or a mental agreement to certain facts or truth, particularly the resurrection of Jesus and that salvation comes through Christ. But the question is, is that it? Is that all we need? Is that what Paul's saying? While faith for Paul for sure has a beginning, it's also the continual inclination of a Christ follower towards all that God has done. And so with that, we could define faith as the initial and continual response of trust in and obedience to Christ by a person for the purpose of acceptance with God. And so when Paul uses this term faith, as in justified by faith, he's describing both the initial act of trust and the continuing disposition of trust and obedience. This is why faith in Christ and works of the law are opposite. Because you can't opt for Christ's system and Moses' system at the same time because they are mutually exclusive options for salvation. And so for a Jew... To come to faith in Christ, it was a huge deal. They had to learn that the object of their faith had changed from God's revelation in Moses to God's revelation in Christ. Christ has replaced Moses as the focus of salvation, just as the Holy Spirit has replaced the law of Moses as the focus of God's will. Which is exactly why we've called this series Gospel Culture. 
Because the gospel of Jesus changes everything. Which is exactly why Paul says in verse 19 and 21, he says this, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness, righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So for Peter and Barnabas and any other Jewish believer to make it out like faith in Christ was not sufficient for justification, that you still had to adhere to the law, it was saying Christ died for nothing. So no wonder this is such a big deal for Paul. No wonder he wants them to understand this as the beginning of a church in this place, that they understood this foundation. So as we end, I want us to go back to our high school cafeteria memories for a moment. And I want us to remember that as humans, one of the hardest things we deal with is the idea of being accepted. We all want to be accepted. We all want an identity that we feel good about. And the movie The Breakfast Club starts with an athlete and a criminal and a princess and a brain and a basket case. And they're all sitting in a room stuck for the whole day for Saturday detention. And as the movie begins, everyone is separated. No one is associated with anyone else. Everyone has an identity that others don't fit into. And it affects how they see and relate to each other. But what we see throughout the movie is that over time, they start to talk together. They start to eat together. They share their stories. They, they have shared experiences, and they risk things together. In, in, a, in another way of saying, they fellowship with one another. And in doing so, they slowly start breaking down the barriers of us and them, of assumptions and classifications and stereotypes and culture and popularity and education and finances and gender and, and clean and unclean and so many things. And what we see is the movie moves from separation and isolation and, and, and disassociation to community and to connection and to unity. And I love how they sum up what they learned about each other at the end by writing it in this letter to the principal. It says this, we accept the fact that we had to accept a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. They all did something different. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms with the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each of us is a brain and an athlete in a basket case, a princess and a criminal. In other words, we're all humans. We're all, we all have our issues. None of us is perfect. Or biblically speaking, we're all made in the image of God. And we're all sinners in need of grace. 
And in many ways, we live out our day-to-day life much like we did in high school. And it continues to affect how we see and experience everyone and everything. We like to think we've matured, but we still long for acceptance. We still ask, will this decision, will this action, will this relationship, this choice, this investment, this use of time, this education, this article of clothing, this food I'm eating, this church I'm going to, this politician I'm following, this belief, you name it. Will this help me be accepted, and will it help me belong? And of course, if we see someone doing something opposite of those things, we don't look at them with a whole lot of love and understanding. And what's even more sad is that we do this spiritually, and it's exactly what was going on in Galatians. The acceptance and justification through faith in Christ, this grace, it seems too good to be true, It's not sufficient. There must be more. So we add our own additions to our ideas of what God's acceptance looks like. And so it might be nationalism or or racial issues or financial status or, or denominationalism or political leanings or gender or levels of education, you name it. And we can get really, really specific too. How do you understand communion or baptism? or women in leadership, or divorce, or tithing, or, or birth control, or, or gifts of the Spirit, our understanding of end times. What Bible translation do you use? Whatever it is, the list could go on and on and on. All of us try to make sense of God's acceptance, and we are all guilty of making our own laws, if you will. And I say laws because ultimately what these do is they create some type of legalism. It's looking to something besides faith in the work of Jesus on the cross in order to be identified, accepted, and justified before God. And I use the term legalism because at its core, legalism always results in pride and fear psychologically and exclusion and strife socially. And it's happening all around our country and our world And we've experienced this in some form or fashion with pretty much every relationship we have. And Paul's saying, but the gospel of Jesus is different. It's all grace for all people. And so what we see here and what everyone's trying to deal with is that Paul is preaching something absolutely radical. Acceptance and justification uh, by God through faith in Christ alone. The result of putting our faith in this gospel of Jesus is that it will completely change everything. It brings freedom. It brings grace. It brings inclusion, fellowship, true acceptance. It puts the law to death and fills us with the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, we are now able to collaborate with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to experience Christ in us, producing this good work, the fruit of the Spirit, Spirit, by which there is no law. It's all grace and love, and it's for everyone, and it changes everything. And so the question is, do we believe this? And, and even beyond that, are we living this out? And this is what Paul is getting at. And this is our challenge. This is the thing we need to be reflecting on. May we be transformed in every way by this gospel of Jesus as we continually put our faith in the work of Christ on the cross. May we continue to be shaped, filled, and led by the Holy Spirit to bring about the good work of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And may we share this gospel with everyone as it is for everyone.
Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back, and they're going to take some space to play instrumentally just for a minute to allow us some space to ponder what we've heard. And um, as they do, I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, I have some questions of reflection and application. Um, take those to, into your consideration. Um, I'm going to share them here. Uh, I know we don't have um, connection cards to hand to you right now because of COVID, so hold your thoughts. Email them to us later, and those of you who are online, you'll see a link in the online platform. But here's some questions to reflect on. Number one, be honest. What are some of the things you've added on, the works or the requirements for being justified and accepted by God? Where do you think they came from and why? Um, number two, are there any people groups that you find harder to believe that this gospel is for them and why? Number three, how might this understanding and application of the gospel of Jesus be inviting us as a church to a new gospel culture? We're starting to open up. Uh, how might this book, might this letter but Paul's challenges be challenging us to think about our gospel culture. And finally, how might this understanding and application of this gospel of Jesus be inviting you to new ways of seeing and treating others? I'd love to hear your thoughts, whether it's one or multiple of these. Feel free, though, to use this space to pray, to confess, to own, to give thanks to be filled, to dream, whatever you feel called to in this time. I also want to note our prayer team is live. They're going to be over here. And if you're online, um, the app is live. All you have to do is click request prayer and, to the left of the chat, and uh, they will respond in the order in which it's received. Um, I'm going to close us in prayer. Brian and the worship team will lead us in a space to reflect, and then we'll join together with one last song of response. So let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, it's, we're all being honest. It's hard for us to comprehend the goodness of your grace and your love and the sufficiency and the completeness of the work of the cross. It's in our natural blood to think there must be more. So we just thank you. Thank you. We, we, we sit humbly in awe of you and your love for us. And we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill us. We, we collaboratively and corporately, uh, again, say we need you. To fill us with your Holy Spirit. To help us uh, to collaborate with you, Holy Spirit, unto good works of the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you that with love and joy and peace and patience and all the fruit. There is no law. There's freedom. And it's not something we do by ourselves. It's you, Christ, in us. And so as we go, fill us and help us bring your spirit and your goodness to others. And transform us where we need to be transformed. Help us not to just take understandings into our brains, but help us to live them out as we are identified as your followers. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, in the Holy Spirit. Amen.